Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. This episode of Systematic is brought to you by Reclaim Me, data recovery software for all occasions available for Windows, Linux, and Mac OS file systems. Find out more information at reclaimme, R-E-C-L-A-I-M-E dot com. My guests this week are Carrie and Demir Jokai, the husband and wife team behind the Lifehack Bootcamp. How are you guys doing? Doing great. How are you doing? I am. It, 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 I'm good. It's really hot. Uh, people don't know that about Minnesota uh, that don't live here. They don't. We're Michigan so right true. now. I I saw that, uh, I think it was Carrie had gone to uh, U of M. And yeah, that's right. That's I my grew up. Daughter. I grew up in Ann Arbor. No way. Yeah, that's where I grew up. We're actually here right now in Michigan. How's that going? It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot and muggy today. Do you, do you guys <laughs> Just have, like Minnesota. Is there a crazy number of fireflies there this year? There actually, are. There's actually there are fireflies. I haven't seen well, this many fireflies since I was a kid in Michigan. You have to understand. I'm from California, where where fireflies like you don't see anything like that like bioluminescent fireflies so for me even as an adult i act like a kid when i see them and carrie's lived here grew up with them you know very common almost like the little pest and for me it's like i'm walking through a fairyland forest like in a fantasy you know movie it's it they're actually all over the place and i get so excited carrie just laughs at me uh it is i <laughs> i went out uh two nights ago and just sat on the porch and watched a forest full of fireflies. And if you let your eyes defocus a little bit, you can like pick up the patterns and the communications between them. And then while I'm doing uh, the firefly watching, a sphinx moth, are you familiar with that? Oh yeah. Uh, a sphinx moth comes to feed from the, the pale flowers in the garden uh, under the moonlight. It was kind of amazing. It, fairy tale forest wow. kind of thing. Uh, totally, totally. Uh, for us, we're getting eaten alive by mosquitoes these days, though, so it's a little bit harder to enjoy the evenings. That's what was amazing about two nights ago. Zero mosquitoes. Bats, moths, and fireflies, and that was it. Well, actually, you know, I have to correct you, Brett. It's possible that there were mosquitoes. You might have just been sitting next to somebody like Carrie. I never worry about <laughs> mosquitoes because they're always going to go to Carrie first. They seem to just absolutely love her flesh. And not like mine. And so I can go anywhere in the world and not worry about a mosquito because they will all decide simultaneously that they want to feed off of Carrie first. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have not been bitten by a mosquito since I was a kid. And I live in Minnesota. Uh, mosquitoes do not bite me. But they right, still you know, are You both are pests. just making me super, super jealous right now. So Yeah, no. Yes. Everyone else I know hates mosquitoes. I, I feel very fortunate. Anyway... Okay, so Midwesterners at the moment. Um, so you run the Lifehack Bootcamp. What is that? Yeah, so it's interesting. It's almost like a, we can't tell you about our our company until we sort of tell you about us. And so the, the abbreviated version of us, and we'll sort of obviously crack into any aspects that you want to talk about. But you know, several years ago, we were that couple that was just working way too hard and 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 not getting any of the cash and prizes that were promised <laughs> you know that <laughs> yeah th that's a very common we're almost like an epidemic of that with this generation where we're working harder than our parents but getting less of the the benefits the american dream as it were and so if life is sort of like a rubik's cube you know we were finding that we could only solve the career side by cannibalizing the other sides like our marriage and our health and our family friends quality time right 
And I think a lot of people can relate to this, right? That conventional wisdom is just grit, bear it, push through, keep pushing harder. Yeah. Yeah, and we probably would have just kept on doing that. But the the thing is, we both live with chronic stress-related illnesses. So our bodies were literally telling us, you know, you got to stop. You know, our minds would have just kept wanting to go, but we had that barrier because of our illnesses. So we really hit bottom and we made a vow. We made a vow together that we were going to start with a blank slate and redesign a life that optimized for all sides of this Rubik's Cube. And that six-sided lifestyle, that's what we like to call life hacking. Yeah, that's, so that's like sort of our definition of life hacking that we've, we've sort of decided about because <laughs> there's a lot of other ones. Um, so fast forward several years later, and we've really cracked that code. We're making more money than we ever did before. We're working 20 to 30 hours a week. We work in a business that actually makes a difference in the world. And you know, we live in a, one of the funnier parts of our lifestyle is we, we gave up our house and we live in an Airbnb rental in a different part of the world every other month. And so, you know, what we do now is we have a 60-day life hack bootcamp training program where we train people to take knowledge and convert it into action so you can actually get productive, get more things done, and start living that six-sided lifestyle. So you, you ask sort of like, what do you do? And what we sort of what we do is, is we created the program that we wish that, that somebody had created for us, right? So we wish that somebody had taken us to the side and said, hey, sure, if, if all you have to do with your life is work on your body and you don't care about your finances, or your family, your friends or whatever, uh, your career, then then great. You can optimize for one side of the Rubik's Cube. But we really wanted we wanted a program. We wanted a system. We wanted the knowledge to optimize all six sides at once. And so that's what we do in Life Hack Bootcamp. We take people through a training program across 60 days that's really designed to get them a really head start on that. And that's uh, it's an online course. Yeah, it's an online course, so people can take it from wherever they are in the world. It's designed to suit people's lifestyles. And the reason why it's eight weeks long is because that's how long it really takes to transform something like your productivity and really convert what you know about productivity into action. And so we have students leaving the, the program really feeling like they're so much more in control of their life, that they've got so much more freedom um, that they're happier with their work days and their jobs and, and their lives as a, as a whole. You know, their spouses are telling them, wow, I really feel like I've gotten my spouse back. Um, you know, the people are getting promoted, um, starting new businesses. Nice. And I think if there's one thing that, you, that really sets us apart, I think, from anybody else, is that um, the online world is filled with great information. There's so many great training programs, so many great books. We, we don't lack for information. But um, the big problem is turning knowledge into action. And most of these online courses, uh, on average, have anywhere between a 3% to a 7% completion rate. So the knowledge is out there, but we're failing to turn it into action. And our course has a 97% completion rate. And so we've really cracked the code, especially online, which is the craziest part, is that we've been able to bring together people online through video chats and like sort of this mixed format that we create in an online bootcamp uh, to create a 97% completion rate. And it's a tough bootcamp. So we're not only getting most of the people through, but we're getting them through something that's basically 10 years of effectiveness training and performance training in 60 days. So uh, what were you guys doing, each of you, prior to, like when, when your lives were much more stressful? What, what industries were you in? <laughs> yeah, so I was in the corporate world. I was a brand manager for many years at big CPG companies, that's food companies essentially, like Kraft Foods and Oscar Mayer and Pop Chips. 
And Demir was in a completely different world, actually many worlds. Um, he was in most recently tech and startup, but also in finance and um, worked at a high level in real estate as well on Wall Street. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think you should probably ask, like, who was I at that point? Because I also you wouldn't have recognized me. I was 80 pounds heavier, uh, you know, dealing with a chronic illness, you know. So it, I was a, visibly a different person. I think if you looked at me, you know, six years ago versus today, you would think that the six years ago, ago picture was the older one, you know, just really haggard. That sounds like the combination of your two, two careers does sound um, devastatingly stressful. <laughs> well, and of course, yeah. living in New York City is, you know, the center of work is your life culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, not a knock on New York. If, if people are listening to New York, the truth about New York is New York doesn't care about you or me. It's a bigger beast. You know, New York and my philosophy of New York is it's like we're like the people are like the gut bacteria of New York. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like New York needs them to function. But if one or two leaves, it doesn't really care, you know. And so I think New York misses me about as much as I miss a gut bacteria leaving, you know. <laughs> and so it's a it's a great city and it's incredible. But the truth of New York the is that it's sort of like a bad relationship in the sense that it makes you think that you need it. It makes you think that you can't live without it. And who would you be? And if you leave New York, then then that's that's disgrace. Right. You've got to make it. You've got to prove yourself. And so it took me a long time to uh, it really took me this aha moment, you know, hitting bottom for us to say, you know, when we're looking at all six sides of our lifestyle, the six sided lifestyle of solving the Rubik's Cube, we realized almost immediately there's no way that we could solve all those sides of the Rubik's Cube in New York. It just was not going to happen. The culture actually actively works, it, works against it. I don't know who New York works for. Uh, when, if Can I you, tell you something? Yeah, I, I just I, you reminded me of my favorite quote. Somebody said New York is for um, the rich, suckers, and the lucky. Yeah, no, that adds up. Kind of like Vegas. Um. Yeah, and I actually didn't work. I didn't work or live for very long at all in New York. Um, but I was really entrenched in more traditional ways of thinking about my lifestyle and my career and who I wanted to be as a person. You know, I wanted to go on that, you know, corporate career track and just keep working my way up step by step. And so I really found myself almost like a horse with blinders. I was so focused on that. I didn't even consider alternate paths. Um, and so just looking back at my mindset, I was really a different person back then, too. Um, so much has changed since we decided to start our own company. And the other thing you should tell him, Carrie, is uh, Carrie's probably the savviest business person I've ever met. And I won't get too much into our how we met story, but I, I, when we first met, there was no romantic connection. It was all business. And I wanted to recruit her because she was just the most amazing like, person I'd ever worked with. And um, I, was, I prevailed on, in convincing Carrie that she was going to waste a lot of time trying to prove herself in this corporate world when we now live in a world where she could just start her own business and be the CEO of that business and not have to pr not have to climb against the glass ceiling or, or rub against any of the good old boys culture. And so, you know, this was sort of a path that we both wanted to take. What are the top, uh, what are the top personality traits slash skills that make someone a good business person? This is a general question because I know for a fact that I am not a good business person. I have learned through <laughs> many experiences. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I don't know if I'm even qualified to answer that. Um, 
in my experience, one of the top traits that served me really well is just the ability to always bring my opinion and my voice to the table and um, really just demonstrate if I'm passionate about a topic that I'm willing to demonstrate why and, and influence others to see it my way. I, I, I don't want to contradict her because she's the one who's actually effective. But <laughs> from my perspective, when I first met her, the reason I thought, wow, this this woman is a boss is just one word. It's effectiveness. All you're looking for people in this game of business is are they their word and do they deliver or over deliver on what I expect from that person? And Carrie's one of those people that's consistently you're going, oh, my God, like if I had a team full of this, then I could dominate the world. Right. If I could duplicate carry a hundred times, there's no company that I couldn't succeed with. Well, and yeah, that leads me to what I would say. The second trait is, that's really important is the ability to execute. Um, and I think this is highly valued in our workplace now. But the people who can truly execute well and Brett, you know this because you're a master at this. They're actually really few and far between. And I'm not talking about just, you know, running a checklist or something like that. I'm talking about creating automation infrastructure, creating systems really having the whole project in mind to optimize the entire team and really be able to become um, effective in that way. Yeah, and I don't mean to contradict either of you, but I would say all of that's fine and dandy until you go into business and find out that you're completely incapable of doing paperwork <laughs> and, and accounting. That's where I fail. <laughs> yeah, I that's... That. I don't think that's anyone's funnest part of having a business, that's for sure. And an unwillingness to hire a, hire an accountant on your limited startup budget. Yes, yeah. definitely. You know what's, what's funny is, and again, I don't want to go too deep into the nitty gritty of, of, but when we first got together, part of what convinced us to start teaching this to other people instead of just keeping it as sort of like our, I don't know, our secret, our, our lifestyle, our systems, is um, we would be going to parties and telling people... Uh, just sort of how our life works. And we had decided that if that we were going to hire a virtual assistant and if Carrie didn't want to do something and I didn't want to do it, then we were going to push it to the virtual assistant. And that became a cost of doing business for us. It was sort of a relationship cost. And so it, it was designed to take any of the friction out of our relationship. And we started getting people at parties just asking, you know, almost bringing over, bringing us over to their other friends, like a party trick and saying, hey, Carrie, Demir, tell them how you have a virtual assistant who plans your travel and your parties and does your taxes and expenses. Definitely. And I, I think what we always ask ourselves is like, what's the life hack here? You know, we really don't like that area of our life. Like you, you gave the example of accounting. What's the life hack? We've got to be able to hack together a solution that's in our budget. Um, but yet takes like the real pain and the sting out of that process. So it's actually been really fun because we get to solve these problems at, like we're solving the Rubik's Cube constantly and trying to find better and better ways of doing things. So what would you say it is that you have that other people are paying to get? Aside from, you like, mean, the, aside from the things yeah. on the front of the web page, like what is it about you guys that... yes makes it possible that you can you can provide something that normal people don't seem to have. Yes, and I think what we provide is actually quite simple and sort of advanced common sense. We're basically teaching that advanced college class that you didn't get, but that advanced home economics. So we should have been taught somewhere between high school and college how to, you know, how to manage our finances. We should have been taught how to get things done at our work. We should have been taught how to manage distractions 
and stay focused. We should have been taught how to, you know, manage the flood of emails. Like there's a lot of things that frankly we should have been taught, but we aren't, we just aren't. And so in a lot of ways, this is about covering those bases and making sure that we have an integrated system for managing the modern world. It's almost like, remember home economics class, they phased it out and it was for a different lifestyle and a different world, but it would teach you how to balance your checkbook and, you know, cook meals and manage your home finances. And we sort of need a modern home economics. Yeah. And my take on that in in one sentence is we really show you what knowledge you need to know and we show you how to convert that into action. So our goal in, you know, our, we have a 97% completion rate for our eight week program and that's our success metric. It's like, we want you actually converting things into action. We want to see you transforming your life and really doing things in a different way than you had before. Um, so we don't care quite as much about maybe you're not perfect doing everything, but we would rather see that that transformation happen in a big way. Here's here's where like it all gets complicated for me. I shouldn't say complicated, annoying maybe. Um, like I did really well in home ec because I was raised by very very responsible people who tried to teach me how to budget and clean and cook, and um, none of that. I, 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 it was almost a rebellion. Like I refused to do any of it. So I knew it all. I could, I could ace any test. You could ask me any question about, you know, like the workings of a home. And I knew the answer, but I never was able to implement it. And now in my late thirties, I'm finally starting to actually be a good domestic person, uh, capable of running a household and capable of running my own life. It so if, the the part that in, intrigues me about what you're doing is the implementation part. I do feel I I I'm it's sad that our education system fails to teach people a lot of these basics, but a lot of it you you could figure out. It's a matter of knowing how to implement it or how to make yourself implement it if you're at all like me and just would rather figure out ways to get other people to do it or computers to do it. I couldn't agree more, actually. I, I think quite the opposite of having the problem of not enough knowledge, we actually now have the problem of too much knowledge. So if there's any problem around knowing what to do, it's that there's actually too many voices in the space. And so part of what we do, the smallest part, admittedly, um, of what we do is we actually go out there and evaluate the space and take the best ideas and consolidate it almost like a systems integrator into one sort of integrated system. So there are clients, one of the small problems we solve for our clients is not having to choose which philosophies to follow or which actions to take or which techniques to use. We sort of pre-vet that and bring it to them in one consolidated total. Um, but the bigger part of what we do, which answers your real question, is it's no big secret. It's what we call advanced accountability. And the reason I say advanced accountability is I think we get accountability wrong a lot. Um, we talk a lot about accountability these days. And accountability is the secret, I think, to turning knowledge into action. Um, but a lot of times we're thinking about accountability in sort of remedial or naive ways. Um, I'd be happy to unpack that. You know, I don't want to go on a tangent if you don't want to. But um, if, you, if you're asking, Demir, what is the secret sauce for turning knowledge into action? It's creating an accountability environment where not only do you actually feel pressure to do the things you need to do, but you are willing and eager even to do these things and make these changes in your life. Yeah, I'd be curious about that. We can dig into that. Is that something both you can weigh in on or would I be moving the conversation to a one-sided 
No, we can do, we can rock that out. Okay. Um. So, like for me, I am, I'm an addict. Uh, like, you know, not presently addicted, but um, like my whole life, I've dealt with addictive tendencies, which has, as a result, made me a, a master master's degree in BS. And ah. uh, I, when it comes to accountability, I am very adept at. Uh, shirking responsibility, putting off responsibility, and ultimately cutting out things that uh, maybe cause me to feel guilty about not finishing things or would otherwise motivate me to do things that I know would be beneficial but don't fit into whatever my brain has decided is important at the moment. Combine that with ADHD and <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I make a mess of things. Um, so... I, I'm curious where your idea of accountability, uh, what makes it advanced? Like how, how do you, yeah. and I'm not asking for the whole course here, but. No, let's crack concept? it open. I, we love this. We love talking about it and we love sharing it. Um, let me, let me start by saying most personal development programs are based on the, what I call the golden God theory, which is Brett, you are a, a God inside. And uh, you can be perfect, and all you have to do is brush away the dirt that's covering that perfect God and just get out of your own way, and, and perfect behavior will result, right? And, and that's very tantalizing uh, because people want to hear that, that results can come easy. Um, and then there's what I call the 12-step or AA method, and it's interesting because I grew up I – I have the genetics of an addict. My whole family does. I grew up the son of an addict and almost lived in the rooms of AA and all these different things. And I can't, when wouldn't ever claim to speak for them. I can only speak for my impression having growing up. And that model says your brain is your enemy. Your brain is begging every day to do something that will hurt you and hurt your family and compromise you. And you need to run a very specific process to prevent your lizard brain from ruining you. Yeah. And you can see those two models are completely different. We, we, we ascribe very closely to the second model, right? It, it, the truth is we are not perfectly productive super gods waiting to do amazing work and, and, and nail out the fundamentals of our life and do our taxes, right? We are lazy and inherently filled with fear and procrastination and anxiety, and some of us have addictive personalities. But even if we don't have quote-unquote addictions, everybody's trying to fill the god hole with sex or or alcohol or food or power or recognition, right? And so our brains are we we need to collaborate closely with our brains um, and and run a very specific program if we want to do something out of the ordinary because our brains are not willing participants. And so that's I just want to give you the fundamentals of how we see the world. Though it is not easy to do this stuff. And if you want to achieve excellent results, you need to run a very specific process. Yeah, and I just tag onto that and say exactly what Demir said. It's really about training our animal brains. And some of us need to be trained a little bit more than others, right? We're all starting at slightly different places. But a lot of things in life, like productivity, are about practice. They're about drilling. They're about training our animal brains in good habits and actually tricking our brains into not listening to our feelings, right? Our feelings are what guide us towards things that taste good or smell good or make us feel good. Um, and guide them towards things that actually, you know, drive forward results in our life. And you see this everywhere when top performers are dedicated to creating habits that allow them to be successful and productive. 
then they can be that way with seemingly little effort. Yeah. Yeah, I find that concept very um, appealing. I yeah, like and to, I think... I would look deeper into that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's appealing to people because even as we're absorbing the easy message of, oh, personal development is easy, transformation is easy, excellence is easy, we secretly know that's BS. We secretly know that excellence isn't easy. We secretly know that transformation isn't easy. And I love a Marshall um, Goldsmith who wrote the book Triggers and teaches high-powered CEOs how to change their behavior. He starts his book by saying, adult behavioral change is one of the hardest things in the world. And when you start from that premise, this is going to be really friggin' hard. You'll find, actually, it's not as hard as you thought it was. Right. So I almost uh, when, when people come into our boot camp, I almost scare people out like I want the bottom 10 percent or the bottom 5 percent that, that can't cut it or that thinks it's going to be easy. I want to scare them out and, and set their expectations that this is going to be really hard. And what's funny is when you do set your expectations that something's going to be really, really hard and then you get started and you put one foot in front of the other, you sort of find that, it, oh, this is, isn't that hard at all. This is this is actually pretty easy. But when you set your expectations to this is going to be easy. I'm just going to push a blue blue button and I'm going to be a different person. Then you're constantly swimming against the stream saying, this is harder than I thought. This is so much harder. I, so I, I think that's obviously, I guess, why that why your your method is called the boot camp, because you don't you want people <laughs> coming in um, expecting a, a tough time. Exactly. And I, I just want to mention, too, what, what you brought up Brett about having sort of an addictive personality and that sort of thing. We actually have a lot of folks come to us from the video gaming industry. And these are typically, you know, slightly younger people and they've actually become addicted to video games. Um, and they, they, they often exhibit um, similar sort of addictive personalities and they, they just can't wait to figure out a way to get out of that rut. But they haven't been provided that extreme structure, the support, the accountability, that boot camp like atmosphere. And they react really well to that because they've been used to just making their own decisions, doing what feels good. And so almost having someone um, kick them in the butt a little bit can provide that sort of gratification they, that, that they need to start changing those habits. Interesting side note. Uh, after a, a few years out of school, I, I went back to uh, assist with the addiction program at the college I graduated from. And... Um, I like I had started using heroin when I was there and m I think more than half of the people more than half the students they were working with were having uh, trouble with video game addiction and at the time that seemed um, kind of not real to me but mm -hmm. after working with that I, I realized they it's like the exact same personality the exact same uh and results in a lot of cases, as far as school goes, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure video gamers have a more a higher uh, success rate with life than people who die of overdoses young. But, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we we would never compare the two, obviously, but but it can wreak similar havoc on your life. I think is a fair way to say it. Yes. Um, it can it can get you dropping out of college, failing out, uh, destroy your personal relationships, destroy and erode your personal self-confidence and belief in yourself. I mean, a whole host of symptoms. But just to quickly sort of touch back to the track that we started on, which is what is this magic of like advanced accountability? And, you know, I think the highlight would, would be to say, we already have a model, right? 
we we already have a model for accountability, right? And it's pro sports, the military. And it, it, whenever you look to advanced performance, human performance, you're very often, not always, but very often seeing a structure of a facilitator. You could call that a coach, uh, a, a boot camp leader. You could call it a uh, instructor, uh, a team leader. But you usually have somebody who's creating and designing an environment of elevated expectations, right? So if you had a basketball team of everybody who just practiced at home and then came together uh, and played played a game together, th- that would be like the worst basketball team in the world. You have a coach who's designing a training program, who's creating an environment where he's inspiring people to step up to 100%. You also have a team. Usually you're seeing people, even individual Olympic athletes who are, who are performing individual at the very end are actually training in a team format. And then a lot of times what you'll see is this sort of like, like we have with kids, when you have 100 kindergartners, you'll get them to hold each other's hand. So you have that buddy system um, and so a lot of that, you'll see that mirrored in a lot of different places because ultimately, yes, it's great to have a coach. Yes, it's great to have coaching staff and a program and an environment. It's great to have a team to create that social pressure and that encouragement and friendly competitiveness and lift. But you also ultimately have to have every single last soldier, game player, whoever, accountable to one other person so that there's always one person who's accountable for your results. And so what we do in LifeHack Bootcamp is we port the that experiential sports mentality into productivity and the only difference is that we think about productivity like we think about algebra like uh, i learn it i know it and then i can do it at, on command anytime and it's much more like you know like pro sports which is it's experiential you know you can read everything you want about productivity you could be able to teach a productivity class but still not be able to sit down and rock out an incredible workday. and there's so many there's so many productivity hypocrites out there. And I feel I used to be one of them. The guy who read every single book, knew every single concept, talked about it at every party and still felt guilty inside because I wasn't doing it. (laughs) Yeah. I know that feeling. Yeah, exactly. So really the secret sauce though, that we definitely want to share today, Brett is about how you can actually make productivity fun because you don't actually have to be a productivity master that's, I think, a misconception people have. They think, man, I've got to just totally change who I am and become like this execution machine. You actually don't because you can use systems and automation to almost supplement those areas of your life that you hate or that you're not naturally good at. You need to have some basic knowledge about productivity and, and habits sure. and that kind of thing. But you can also supplement it and really make yourself perform at a super high level without actually doing all that work. And I yeah. just have to interject and say that we just have to say out loud and acknowledge to ourselves that that part of our voice, the itty bitty shitty committee has three people sitting on it. There's the pusher, the perfectionist and the critic. And the perfectionist is is a lot of times getting us to compromise our results because what we're really when we say I have to be perfect to move forward, what we're doing is giving ourselves a reason not to move forward because we all know we're not going to be perfect. Like, you know, we're very advanced, Brett we're far from perfect right and so we've we've created a lifestyle where we can be effective without having to expect perfect perfection from ourselves every single day and so i think before we move forward i think it's important to just if you're out there and you're listening to say yes i am waiting to start my results until i can create a perfect situation or until i can step up to 100 percent perfection and that's a form of procrastination yeah I think maybe one of the most common forms of procrastination. Definitely. So a a lot of what you guys really enjoy 
um, is automation and talking about, uh, and maybe this isn't the focus of, of courses necessarily, but uh, I've noted that you both really enjoy the idea of making technology work for you. So exactly, what kind of stuff do you guys do? Yeah, so we do actually, our more advanced boot camp is systems mastery boot camp. So we do nerd out with some students in that, which is, which is great. Um, but really what, what we do is teach the idea that we shouldn't ever be doing a repeatable task more than once. Um, we, we're trying to kind of collect a list of all the shallow or low value tasks that we have in our life that keep us from that freedom and control that we actually want. And we try to solve that problem. How do we create a system for getting that done without us needing to be present for it? Um, is there a, a simple checklist we can create and hand off to somebody else to do it for us? So, you know, you and I, in, in your interview uh, for our summit, we talked about this 30-hour um, concept where a lot of people, they'll look at a task and they want to, even if they think, how can I automate this or push it onto somebody else's plate or get it away from me, they'll think, well, that's going to take 30 hours. That's way too much because I could do this in an hour a week. It's just taking me an hour a week. And you and I talked about how you just run that out for the rest of this year, 52 weeks, and you've lost. Meaning if it takes you 52 hours every year, roughly, assuming you have no vacations, but whatever, we'll just make it rough math. So it takes you 52 hours a year to do it, and you could have automated it in 30 hours, you get a return on that time investment in year one. But then year two, when it's still working for you most likely, your investment and your return just keeps cranking up and up and up and up. So what we start people off really easy, right? We start them on things like, hey, how can we automate your grocery shopping? There's so many great apps out there that can deliver groceries right to your door instead of you having to go and spend two hours shopping. But then we even move into more advanced systems that are more fun, like email automation. How can you actually have someone else, a virtual assistant, monitoring and actually responding on your behalf from your email? And that seems really daunting to a lot of people but it's one of the best things you can do to free up so much time in your week. What? So tell me about uh, virtual assistants. Do you guys use a particular uh, AI system or do you create your own kind of responder systems? Well, first, I want to sort of give away our like our decision making tree. So we have a, a acronym that does, is not clever because it doesn't spell anything out, but it's E-A-C-D. Uh, eliminate, automate, consolidate, delegate. That's an initialism. Uh, yeah, an initialism. <laughs> Acronyms um, have to be pronounceable. Yeah. Yeah. Darn. <laughs> initialism. So, um, and it's someday we'll remarket that and make it much more clever. So if you hear it again in five years and it's cleverer, then we'll, we did that work. <laughs> um, but, but it's a decision tree that says, okay, the first thing before you systematize something is you, it's common sense, but you got to say, it. can I actually eliminate it? Because there's no better systemization than saying, let's just get rid of this completely and not have to deal with it. For example, and this is a, a really remedial example, but you don't need a shoe rack if you get rid of all your shoes. So there's some things in our life, physical possessions, that we only have to house our other physical possessions, which is sort of absurd. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, God, I just need a great shoe rack, right? Um, and so, so if we can eliminate things, once you eliminate things, you're not just eliminating that thing. You're eliminating all of the cognitive load, all of the other systems, all the other costs, all of the other heartaches that are associated with having that thing in your life. So minimalism is the first place to start. Can I just get rid of it? Um, and then 
automation is, you know, can I actually get technology to take care of this? Is there a service? There's so many great services online that could deliver food to your door or pick you up. Or I mean, there's there's if you can name it, there's probably a service for it. So we ask ourselves, is there a service that's automating this right now? A good example for that is, you know, a lot of people go every single day and they're clicking all of the junk mail and trying to, you know, they spend five, 10, 15 minutes a day trying to click, 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 trying to get all the junk mail out. Well, there's a service called unroll.me that would just automatically do that for you, not just once, but every single day and unsubscribe you from anything you don't want anymore. And so, you know, that's a way that we can actually get technology working for us. Consolidate is the third one, EAC, consolidate. And that's basically looking and saying, hey, there's some stuff, even after I've eliminated stuff, even after I've automated the rest that I can, there's some stuff I still have to do. I still have to pre-plan with my wife on Sundays. Nobody can pre-plan for me. And so what we do is we take similar tasks like calling friends and family on the phone or writing or doing chores and we consolidate them. So for example, Carrie and I don't do chores every week. We do one day every month where we rock out a crazy amount of, of chores in one day. And we have a checklist that we run through so that in that one day, we're effectively doing chores that would have haunted us for the rest of the month. And we're just knocking it out with 80s music blasting and just having a great time, right? So that's our chore day. And then we have this big reward at the end of chore day that we get to go get massages and drinks afterwards. And so we actually look forward to chore day and we're rocking out all of our month's chores in just one solid blast. And then, of course, there's D and D is for delegation. Carrie can tell you more about that. She's the expert. <laughs> yeah. So the very last step is delegation. If you can't manage to do or if you've done everything you can do in the other three steps. Right. And so then that's where you want to actually hire somebody else to do that task for you. And this is where you really need to standardize um, your procedures. And so we get super nerdy about this, but literally everything in our life is documented. And you hear a lot of people talking about this more and more today. Um, Dan Martell in his interview, he's he sold many multi-million dollar startups. And the way he does it and still makes time for his family is with these documents. And no, no stone is left unturned, whether it's a simple checklist or it's a lengthy 10-page um, standard operating procedure, just like a, you know, a Google Doc with a list of instructions, um, or it's a screencast, a video of our screen showing someone else how to do something for us. Um, we really love having those documentations in place because it keeps us from having to ever repeat um, a task more than once. And it makes sure that whoever we're delegating it to can actually succeed. Because so much of the time we think that we're good communicators and... <laughs> the person on the other side of that is actually, you know, just totally confused. And they have a different interpretation for what you mean for simple things. So this standard operating procedures that we have really keep everybody on the same page and explain down in minute detail how to execute a task to 100% completion. Yeah, delegation is definitely the hardest one. Like I'm great at the first three, but yeah. Um, I, and I, I, like I had a job, my first my first real like job out of college, um, I documented everything because it was, it was all stuff I knew was dumb that I would have to do, and uh, like and my brain does not I don't care I don't count the hours it's going to take to automate it I can't do something if I know it could be automated so <laughs> I spent all my time documenting and that was easy for me to delegate in fact it was easy for me to leave I two weeks notice and I had no internal guilt about like leaving anything broken because it was all 
It was all documented. Uh, and people knew what buttons to hit. Um, and then the rest of the job was creativity, which hopefully they would hire someone creative. Um, but like in my, in my life now as an independent developer and, uh, kind of content creator, I, I don't document cause things are different every day. And when I try to bring people on to help me, it, it gets to, it gets to a point where I, I start to feel like, oh, this is just easier if I do it myself. And finding those, like, um, a way to make a flowchart of, of an activity, that's always been difficult for me. Yeah, and so uh, this is interesting because usually, so you're taking, you're taking it to the advanced level of SOP, standard operating procedures. The easiest SOP is a linear checklist SOP. Um, and, like, uh, the simplest example is at our old house when we actually had our own house. Uh, we had a housekeeper, and we made a video for her. And um, that video showed her how she could easily get all of the chores that we needed done in 90 minutes. <laughs> and she was convinced that it would take three hours, but there was a very specific way that if she followed these instructions exactly. And we, in, in the video, we showed her down to how the proper way to wipe a counter. And, and a lot of people get annoyed about stuff like this, like wiping a counter. I know how to wipe a counter, of course, but then you're thinking, well, they didn't wipe it the right way, right? And so we literally left no stone unturned and we had a written set of instructions and an accompanying video and the whole the first time she even came, we had her sit down and just watch that. And, and that was her whole first session. It's just absorbing that. Right. Um, but it's interesting. The second type of SOP is what we call a decision tree SOP, which isn't linear. It's saying if this, then that, if this, then that, if this and that. And what you're the truth is a lot of the stuff that could be automated, but isn't it's not because it's so excellent that you need to be Brett Terpstra to do this. It's because it requires some level of walking through a decision tree. And so a good example is we create these types of SOPs when we get people to start reviewing emails. And so that's the, the, the super hack when you're getting a virtual assistant. A lot of people say, I wish my VA could properly process my inbox, um, but she just can't. And, and this is what's really important here, and not just for you, Brett, for, but for everybody listening, is the way that you get yourself out of this hole is you have to change your entire way of thinking about management. You have to say there's no stupid people. There were stupid instructions that I gave them, right? Like I didn't do enough to take it out of my brain and put it onto a piece of paper in a way that they could, or redesign my process in a way that they could follow it. So what I did in doing this for myself and what we do for our clients, it's the first thing we do is we actually go back and do the hard work of looking at the last three to six months of email and saying, A, who's contacting me? B, what do they want? So we're creating archetypes of communication communication flows. And we're systematizing and saying, okay, externally, there's five different types of people that are reaching me for new business, and here's what they're usually asking. For my in, Internally, for my existing client base, there's 30 different types of communications that I usually reach, right? And then there's you know, what we call, and then I could keep going down the rabbit hole, but I won't. Right? It's really about doing that investigation into your own life and archetyping out who's reaching me and why, and that's why people aren't succeeding. Yeah, and I would say a great middle step too is instead of just jumping from you doing it to fully automated is like, can you just break off a piece of it and automate it? And maybe it would take someone else twice as long as it takes you, but I mean, your time is valuable, right? It's like the, the point is to free up your time. And so it's not really about will this take me or will this take my VA longer than it takes me? It's like, what pieces of this can I just start breaking down of, of, around the edges so that I can eventually get to the heart of it and really create a fully automated system. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I, I, I hesitate to, to say it because it, it feels, um, text expander is a frequent sponsor of this show. Um, so talking about them feels like I'm getting paid, but I'm not, uh, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say generous <laughs> sponsors. Thank you. Sponsors. Yes. Um, I would say that, uh, text expander is a perfect example of breaking off pieces because my email responses on a daily basis are often, uh, repetitive and, the fact that text expander will note you've typed this three times already. Do you want to make a, a, a snippet for it? And then in the future, exactly. when I want to explain to someone how to debug an automator service or generate them a new license and tell them how to download an app and like all of that, I have down to just a few keystrokes. And so I'm not automating the entire process of customer support and, uh, and open managing open source projects but I reduced the time to maybe 15% of what it would be if I were typing this all out. Yeah, exactly. If, if, I, could, if I could tag off to that, there was, I, I took a process, we actually have a six week course called Systems Mastery where we take people through our process for creating systems in their life. And um, I was doing a project based on this, this, this system that we have to turn things into standard operating procedures and automate them out. And one of the cool things that happened, I have a sales process and I'm a coach, I'm not a salesman. And so I wanted to design this out of my life. And so I started breaking down, okay, here's the sale. I, I had to actually look at my funnel and realize that I was running a full sales funnel sort of in my brain. Like I hadn't broken down the steps formally and said, this is the first response. And this, this is the second response, right? I was just sort of winging it, using intuition. So I was following a, a very vague model. And so the great part of turning something into an SOP is it makes you spell out not just a your brain takes shortcuts from A to G to, you know, and, you know, to Z, right? It, it's, it skips steps. But when you create an SOP, you have to outline every single step. And in outlining it, I realized, A, I didn't want to outsource the way it was because it was pretty damn, it, I was doing it quite badly. And so I, I needed to fix it first before I could outsource it. And in the process of fixing it, I found a bunch of cool automation tools like Streak, which we use for a Gmail plugin. And by the time I was done with the whole process, A, it added in an extra $40,000 of revenue that we were inefficiently letting slip through our hands because we weren't following up on our sales process prospects quickly enough. And B, I realized that this had gone down to about 5% of the time that it used to take me. And so my entire intention from the beginning was to outsource it. And in the end, I didn't outsource it. And the reason is because I had, I had the process of assuming that you're going to move it to another person's plate requires that you run a process in integrity that often you'll find at the end, you don't even have to hire the person. I'll just tag on to that and share another story of one of our clients who um, did something similar, like her job involves a lot of writing for grants and stuff like that to get funding. And she was really having a resistance to it, but she created a process around how to do it most optimally with the intention of handing it off. Turns out she ended up just doing like four times the number of grants in a particular time period. And so literally, she ended up with four times the amount of funding as a result. So that's a way that systems can actually just literally accelerate your business for it as well, because they enable you to be much more efficient. I'm glad to hear you guys like Streak. I, uh, I discovered that last year. And it is, I'm using a free, you know, the free plan of it. And it is amazing. Doing it is. <laughs> sales, sales is absolutely not my strong point. And on days when I have sudden bursts of, all right, let's contact a bunch of potential sponsors and investors and 
then following up like i lose so much and streak is amazing for turning gmail into a crm yeah i'm we are no in no way affiliated or or sponsored by streak Uh, although if you're listening streak we would like to be (laughs) um we are in no way affiliated with them and i will strongly recommend streak to anybody who is not a large like company like a small sized company or an individual solopreneur uh you know somebody like our size company it is just it's been fantastic and i use it for a lot of stuff outside of sales in fact i have a lot of customers uh, and clients of ours that don't do sales at all uh but need to follow up with people a lot uh, and need to run a sort of a or a, an email uh support like if you have to do a lot of support tickets and stuff this, it's an incredible thing. We could have a whole hour-long call, and I would just talk about all the different ways that we use Streak. <laughs> all right. Well, um, it's time to uh, take a quick sponsor break and then jump into the top three picks if you guys want to do that. Oh, we're ready. All right. Well, you don't have an option on the sponsor break, so we'll take that. Sometimes disaster strikes. Data loss can be caused by many things. Accidental formatting, mistaken deletions, driver file system failure, the list goes on. Reclaim Me is data recovery software for all occasions. It's capable of extracting data from Windows, Linux, and Mac OS file systems. It successfully works with both standard storage devices like hard drives or USB thumb drives, as well as with complex storage systems like network-attached storage devices and Microsoft Storage Spaces pools. Reclaim Me is unique because there are no settings at all. All you have to do is select a device and click the start button. Systematic listeners can get a 50% discount on Reclaim Me. Use Systematic as a discount code when purchasing and get an indispensable tool for recovering data. For more information about Reclaim Me, visit www.reclaimme.com. That's R-E-C-L-A-I-M-E.com. All right, so that brings us to the top three picks then. Um, uh, this goes round robin. We're, we're close to time, and I actually have a hard deadline today. So we, we can either keep the pick short without a lot of discussion, or you guys can narrow yours down to three, or I can skip mine. Let's keep them short. Let's, having having said it out loud. Yeah, let's, let's do, just do a, power session. a lightning and, and- round. I'll say if anybody wants to hit us up for clarity, you know, hit us up on our Facebook page or email, and I'm happy to go even deeper by email or Facebook. All of which will be linked on the show notes. So um, you guys get to go first. Give me your first top pick. Uh, let's let's divide this up. Are each of you going to do three? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, okay. Let's go round robin three each. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Starting with Carrie. Okay. Favorite book right now, Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins blew my mind favorite tool asana no, wait one at a time oh sorry sorry one at a time um, <laughs> all right so on, on to demir yeah favorite book right now i'm not gonna say all time favorite book right now uh cal newport's deep work she, that, it, this has come up i think on the last three consecutive episodes yeah <laughs> yeah i'm 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 a fanboy. i'm just gonna i'm gonna end it by saying I've just become a real like heaving fanboy of Cal Thomas, Cal Cal Newport. Yes. Okay. So um, I'll I'll throw in a book too then, and uh, I'm currently reading just like someone without mental illness, only more so, a memoir by Mark Vonnegut, uh, son of Kurt Vonnegut, and it is fascinating. Um, if you, 
I don't, I don't, if you have mental illness or know someone who has mental illness, or you're just fascinated by people who have really insightful things to say about multiple psychotic breaks, great book. Awesome. All right. Okay. Uh, Favorite tool? Is that what I'm doing? Sure. I mean, it can be anything, but we kind of set a little bit of an outline. Yeah. So my favorite tool, like if I had to pick just one, is Asana. Like I already said, it's our task management system. It's our CRM. It's our communication with all our remote team members. We work 100% remotely. So um, that's my top pick for tool. All right. Yeah. Well chosen. And Asana is essential to me, but I will pick Zoom. Um, we were, we've been really frustrated with Skype and um, GoToMeeting and a bunch of the stuff. And Zoom has been, and they, by the way, they did sponsor our summit only because we're obsessed with them and we, we like track them down. Um, but this tool is so monthly functional. Not only do we use it for video conferencing, I actually use it for screencasting. Screencasting apps can cost $350 for a good one like Camtasia. People don't realize that in Zoom, you can open an empty meeting record the meeting and basically screencast and record a, version, a video of yourself. So you can also hack Zoom to be to operate like a $350 screencasting app. Uh, so I'm just absolutely in love with Zoom. And if you have teams or you're a coach like me, you can also do breakout rooms. And it's just, it's so cheap, so amazing. I just love Zoom right now. Cool. All right. So I, if I were going to pick a tool, I would say I'm really into... Uh, and this goes against a lot of what we're talking about because I do uh, play with a lot of productivity apps. But I'm really into an app called Sorted on the iPhone right now. Uh, it's very similar to some previous kind of just to-do list apps. Um, but it gives you basically, you have a day view. You can add and remove tasks from it. Then you can categorize those tasks with tags. You can flag them with emoji. And then each one is set to a time. Uh, so you can plan your day out in chronological order and then you can select a bunch of them and like spread them out or move them around. And then there's also a calendar view and an inbox view where you don't necessarily, it's not date based. You can kind of see overviews of all your categories. It's not a full task management system for me, but for like little things like errands I need to run, I it's it's a really clever app. Very cool. Love it. Um, I think the last one I'll choose is it's a system, but I'm going to pick an element of the system. It's my note taking system. I take a combination of written notes to engage the right part of my brain and the left part of my brain. But then I also like to sync my Kindle notes, my highlights um, through an app called clippings.io so I can get them into Evernote and actually have them searchable and useful later um, instead of just highlighting them and then forgetting about what I learned from that book. Um, so that's my, my big, um, my big app. That's part of that system that really makes it all possible. Cool. Yeah. I gotta, yeah. I gotta check that out. I, uh, I just got back into using my Kindle and that's been the, a sticking point for me is not being yeah. able to integrate it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I have to say having a Kindle, uh, I didn't have a Kindle for a long time. I was reading Kindle on my iPhone and thinking, well, this is the same effective thing. Um, and, and realizing that, the best thing is having something next to my nightstand that has no Facebook in it, no yeah, news. For sure. Yeah. So I turn to it. I like to read in the morning to wake up. It's a. It's actually a really. It really helps me engage my brain and get up on time. And so uh, turning to the Kindle instead of turning to a phone, or at night reading the Kindle instead of reading a phone, has just absolutely transformed my anxiety, stress levels, which were pretty low to begin with. But I'm going to new new lows of of anxiety and stress and. I'm just chilling. You know, it feels like that one small change of just 
having an alarm. People always say, oh, but what about my alarm? Like get a freaking alarm from Amazon. They cost like five cents, right? Go to the local Goodwill store and buy a little electric digital alarm. No problem. Um, so having the phone away from me and having a Kindle has, has been transformative. I'm good at not using my phone at night, but I like to wake up and read headlines because the the stress and anxiety makes me get out of uh, out of bed. Yeah, I can't. I, I I'm on a I'm on a media fast, especially in the in that the, sounds in, healthy. Yeah, it's it it helps me. It helps me. All right, so Demir, what's your third pick? Uh, wasn't that it, Kindle? Oh, Kindle. I did, I thought we were still going off of the Clippings.io. No, not Clippings.io. I, I'm just saying Kindle, Kindle. itself. Um, Excellent. Yeah, All right. Just, just Kindle itself. All right. Um, so I, my third pick is actually going to be a pillow. Um, mm. I uh, A few years ago, I stayed at the uh, Hotel Zeta, I think it was, in San Francisco. And the pillows they had, I, I, I've never liked a hotel pillow. Once maybe at a, a Sofitel, but um, this pillow was worth going to the front desk and saying, where did you get this? And, and the, the front desk and the concierge didn't know, but they got back to me. I got an email a couple months later that told me it was from a company called Down Etc., uh, which I believe was actually in San Francisco. And I looked at them. The pillows were extremely expensive, handmade goose down pillows. Um, so I forgot about it for a few years. I decided to go check it out again last week, and uh, there were far more affordable like you can get a, a amazing goose down pillow for under a hundred bucks um you can also pay more than that but i i got one and after a couple nights of breaking it in it is amazing again i it bring, brings back all those wonderful memories of a, a hotel stay that uh, exceeded your expectations i love nice. that if they come up with the travel version of that, Brett, you have to let me know. I he, so for tra- I also at the same time I was exploring pillows, I looked into, I think it was called the Extreme Comfort. I I, I got to check this real fast because this company also makes a, a travel neck pillow, like for flying, that is basically a three hundred and sixty degree. Uh, it looks amazing, but the whole they're all made out of shredded. Um, memory foam, so it's not a memory Ooh. foam pillow, but it so it, it's Uh-oh. it's lumpy, you know, which is kind of actually in the uh, in the sleeping pillow I got with that in it. I was memory foam has always had its downsides to me. This was kind of amazing. Um, I'm I'm almost there. Orders. This would have been oh okay. yeah, it's called the Extreme <laughs> Comforts X T R E M E, of course. Um, slim hypoallergenic shredded memory foam standard bamboo pillow with cover. Uh, oh, we got to check Amazon that out. Marketing names, but yeah, um, that one's like $35. So yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end. Uh, first of all, thanks for being here, but let's talk about where people can find you. I know offhand we have the lifehackbootcamp.com website. And then Facebook.com yeah. slash Lifehack Camp. Also on Twitter at Lifehack BT Camp. Uh, where else would you guys like to be found? You can also Definitely personal. check out the website. Yeah, um, you can reach us through the, the website as well. We have all our social handles linked through there. Um, but we also have a really cool new free masterclass on the website 
it's the direct link is lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash masterclass. And Demir can explain a little bit about what you can learn in that class. But it really, you know, we give away almost like our best knowledge for free there, um, in particular about productivity foundations. Absolutely. I mean, in a sentence, we just teach people all about time, how to manage time, how to block it, how to get the most out of it. Um, so that's just a fundamental build, building block, and we just give that away free. So uh, if you want, if you've got an hour to accelerate yourself and learn knowledge that I think is going to get you hundreds of hours back in the future, then check out lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash masterclass. All right. Cool. Um, and I'm Brett Terpster. I'm at brettterpster.com and here and overtired coming back soon and uh, TT scuff everywhere on the web. So uh, also check out uh, you can follow systematic on Twitter. It's the, the account doesn't do a lot, uh, but you can join the systematic community. If you go to sign up dot system cast S Y S T M C A S T dot net. Uh, that'll get you into the Slack channel and there will soon be a Facebook group. So we can start uh, building a real community here. Um, so, yes, thanks again, Carrie, Demir. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for having us, Brett. Thanks, Brett. And we'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.